Welcome to Outside Inside Radio, which is brought to you by Prison Arts Collective. Prison Arts Collective is founded on the belief that art is a human right and is dedicated to bringing the transformative power of the arts to people experiencing incarceration. Our collaborative teaching teams include faculty, students, and staff, and our classes include making art, art history, reflection, and the cultivation of a safe space. We're based in the School of Art and Design at San Diego State University and have additional chapters at three CSU campuses. Prison Arts Collective is a project of California Transformative Arts, an initiative of the California Arts Council and the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Outside Inside Productions are a way to communicate with our participants and with the wider public through video and other media as an extension of our distance learning project created in response to COVID-19. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Outside Inside Radio. My name is Ella Turen, and I'm one of your co-hosts. Hi, everyone. I'm Kathy Foley-Meyer, the other co-host. We have a wonderful guest who's going to um, share with us a really interesting project that she's been working on. Joanne DeCaro is a PhD student at the University of California, Irvine. Um, And we're excited to hear about you and your creative journey and uh, the work that you're doing. So welcome, Joanne, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So, first of all, um, I love the fact that you describe yourself as a video artist. Tell us a little bit about what that is and how you became a video artist. What was that journey like for you? Sure. So, actually, the word I use now is multimedia storyteller. And that's because I realized that I have all these different backgrounds and training, and it's hard to put them together. It's hard um, in the career field to make sense of them. Um, It's hard when explaining to people, and this is the best word I've been able to come up with. I got my first undergraduate degree in photojournalism at Brooks Institute of Photography. And while I was there, this was in the early 2000s, they were just starting to do a lot of the digital work. So things were switching over from film to digital. The whole professional industry was really switching over. So I got my first video training back then, but really for a long time focused on photography. Um, I've had a whole career as a photographer. And then when I switched into really caring about my current work, um, really thinking about um, prisons and incarceration and working with incarcerated folks, then I found that my video skills really came in handy, that um, I wanted to be able to tell people's stories. I realized that often um, in the area of academia that you know people's stories get recorded, but they get maybe recorded on an audio player. And then they're just used for research and kind of like put away in like a researcher's vault, maybe let's say like they're part of it gets put out in, you know, research articles, but the actual um, interviews often don't see the light of day. And I wanted to do that a bit differently. I really wanted to do projects where I could um, videotape people, obviously with their consent and knowledge and agreement, and then be able to share their stories in their own voices with like the images of their face to communicate their stories Um, to a wider audience. And that's really one of my big passions and drives. So is this, I I love, first of all, just your professional photography background and your training in storytelling. I love that you describe yourself as a storyteller 
because even in still images, you can still convey a lot of a story, even if there aren't words or sounds attached to it. But then leveraging this as part of your academic work, I think is so intriguing and important when we talk about public scholarship. Um, I'm a huge fan of ensuring that there is a, a, a bridge and link between what we do in the academic world and when we what we do in community. And I love that you're bringing this together. Is this part of your research work as well, besides the project that we're going to be talking about? Yes. So other than the project we're going to be talking about, the prison pandemic project, um, the main body of my own research that I'm working on as a PhD student is I talk to people who um, had life sentences and are now out and in reentry. And, you know, as I'm sure many of your listeners know and have experienced is that for a long time, lifers weren't getting out in, in California. The numbers that were getting out per year were, were abysmal, where, you know, like two people, 12 people, 20 people out of tens of thousands of people locked up. And um, in the last few years, as again, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, is that there's been so many more releases. It's been amazing. So many people have been coming home. And so I wanted to, to kind of learn from what people's experiences are that we, you know, like um, it's hard to do research inside and talk to people about these experiences. And when they come home, it's an opportunity to say like, hey, what was it like to be incarcerated for 30 years, for 40 years? What's your story? Because often, you know, lifers based on their on the most kind of common crimes, you might have a life sentence, get labeled as the worst of the worst. And we're working on creating um a website archive of stories from lifers where they're telling their own story, where they're telling their life path and their life journey. I think there's an importance to kind of putting a face and putting a voice and hearing the emotion and hearing, um, just hearing directly from people about their story and not filtering it always through other lenses like academia. It does a lot of great things, but it's also, it puts certain filters on people's stories and, and presents them in certain ways. Essentially, you're bringing voices that have been sequestered, you know, away. People who are um, incarcerated aren't visible to us. We tend to see them through statistics. So I'm curious, now that you've started bringing these uh, voices to light, what sort of effect has it had on the rest of your work? It's a little bit hard to say because I think coming into being an academic, I still think of myself as a storyteller first. Like that's the mindset that I choose to adopt. The motivation behind doing all the different kinds of projects I do is to get the stories of people who are incarcerated out there to the public. Um, so that's how I, I see it kind of functioning and bleeding into my other work is, is having this really storytelling mindset. And whenever I can, trying to center the narratives of, of the people directly impacted as whenever possible. Do you feel like it has changed the work you do as an artist? Has exposing people whose voices are essentially absent from public discourse generally, has that changed like the way you see your art? Yeah, it's interesting because as an artist, I did a lot of work in the commercial area, which is different. That's not your vision. That's not um, like your own goal or messaging. I'm, I have a little bit of two different mindsets as an artist. One, I do think there's a place for art that just gets to be art and just gets to be beauty. And I think beauty has meaning. It's healing on its own. Like I love abstract art. I love still creating just kind of fun, silly, frivolous work. And in fact, I find myself doing a bit more of that now, like as a counterweight to some of the heaviness of the other work that I do. Like I still just 
love to be inspired by beauty whenever I find it. Um, and then I, and then I see other work that definitely it's message driven. And while like there's beauty to be found in, there's plenty of beauty to found in that too. The message and, and more of the activism and the messaging behind that comes before anything else. Like it is trying to convey a message and this is the best vehicle to convey that message that for the storytelling, I didn't, I'm not choosing um, video as a means to convey it because I want to do like artsy cool things with that video. Actually, I could care kind of less about that. I'm doing it because I think that video is the best way in our modern era to connect with the widest audiences. Well, speaking of the message, this is a good place to talk about the pandemic project because it has a definite message and has really sort of like stemmed from this desire that you have of storytelling, of, you know, making sure that people are heard um, and of getting a message out. So can you talk a little bit about that project and how it came about? Sure. So the UCI Prison Pandemic Project is an archive where you're collecting stories from people who are currently incarcerated in the California prison system and CDCR. Me and one other grad student and three other faculty members were the co-creators of this project. And uh, the three professors had already written uh, an op-ed at the beginning, just trying to get the word out about how bad it was going to be in prisons. And we were really scared and trying to figure out like, hey, we're all academics and we can write research papers. What else can we do? Like, what else can we do that's more immediate, that, that helps people more? First, we decided to create a fundraising campaign. And we collected around $8,000 and distributed um, PPE year to three prisons in Southern California. And so that was a drive to just say, hey, let's do something practical. Like let's use UCI, let's use its name, let's use our own, you know, connections and reputation. And let's let's try to raise money for people and try to help in like a tangible way and not just with our words. And then while we were doing that, to promote the fundraising effort, we created a video uh, and it was, it included, um, formerly incarcerated students here at UCI and in the Cal State system, and it included voices from two people who are currently incarcerated. And while we were reaching out to people, creating that video as like an awareness campaign to raise money, we realized that people, that there was way more people who were incarcerated who wanted to tell their story and wanted the world to know about what was happening to them inside facilities. Let's try to do it. Let's try to collect these stories and let's try to make an archive. And um, all the other faculty and grad students were really really excited about that. And we all, you know, like jumped in. I don't think, you know, we knew how big and crazy of a project it would be until we got going. Um, but now we've collected over 1400 letters, hundreds of calls have come in and we run a hotline for people to call in. We have a PO box where everyone can send the letters. We realize that, um, it might be harder to get information in during the pandemic that, you know, like the normal kind of People going to activities and going to, you know, different, um, going to classes or going to, you know, different kinds of programming and meetings wasn't happening. So it, you know, before maybe you could send in a letter and it might, that information, that letter might circulate to 20 people. We realized that that wasn't happening um, during the pandemic. So we just started sending in as many letters as we could just we sent in thousands and thousands of letters at this point, just trying to get the word out because we really want to, to capture and preserve people's stories. 
a lot of the information and reports that have come out about the pandemic in prisons has been a lot of the information about the numbers, about the infection rates, about the, the death toll. But we really wanted to create an archive where people's stories, where the actual experiences of what it's like to go through a pandemic while incarcerated could be heard and could be heard by a wider audience. And I think, you know, we, we really got that a lot of people, if you don't know someone who's incarcerated, you might, you know, have had no idea how bad it could be and then eventually how bad it was inside. Right. And I think that's so important because as we as we've been all sort of like wrapped up in our lives living with the pandemic, it's really easy. I mean, it was easy before to not think about folks on the inside because as Kathy said earlier, they're not seen, right? And this pandemic has just exacerbated that. So the ability for people to hear these stories is, I think, tremendous. And also, I'm thinking that it probably has had a, a huge impact on folks inside for them to be able to share their stories to folks on the outside, because that's always something that I've found that people have valued. And now in a time where folks are even more isolated, that's both on the inside and the outside, I can imagine that this exchange of stories um, has been really meaningful on multiple levels. Yes, we've, um, in a lot of our letter responses that we just get beautiful responses where sometimes people write like, you know, my family doesn't write to me and I haven't had someone write to me in years and I was so happy to receive your letter. Um, we recently had someone um, on our Twitter, uh, the, the wife, our girlfriend of someone incarcerated say that, that her loved one called her up after he got the letter and he was like, listen, someone who doesn't know me cares about me. And I, like, that was like, we, you know, like, we were crying like when we got that because that that's what we wanted. If nothing else, we wanted people to know that that there's students out there listening on this project on the UCI Prison Pandemic Project. We've had over 100 students work on this, undergraduate students. We currently have about 80, I believe, working on it. And so these are students who also really care, who really are concerned about what's happening to people inside. You know, we have uh, a good chunk of them, I think about 20 or 30 of them writing letters to people in there saying like, you know, the beginning, we start off letter just letting them know like, hey, we care about you. We hope you're doing okay. We hope you're surviving this. Um, let us know if you want to tell your story. Well, you have the hotline and we get called all the time. And uh, and the students who work the hotline, they're my heroes. Like they, um, they're taking these calls and some of these calls can be just so emotional where people are, are getting to, to tell their story to someone who's who's sympathetic and listening maybe for the first time to an outsider. And, you know, we've heard just heartbreaking things and um, and they've been doing amazing work and we're really happy to offer that too, that just say, hey, we're here to listen, that we're bearing witness to what's happening right now. We're bearing witness in the sense that we're archiving it and we're also bearing witness in the sense that we're listening to you. Like we are here and want to listen to what you've experienced without judgment, without um, without questioning. We're not here to question if it's the truth or like a journalist, we're not trying to get to the bottom of the story. We're just here to take your story, listen to your testimony and thank you for it and, and hope that things get better for you. Yeah, that's huge. It speaks to the power of human beings recognizing each other, which is, I mean, it's powerful in and of itself. In some ways, it can be just as powerful as, you know, legal, advocacy or or other things. And I love the way that art and your art in particular is integrated in that function. 
Can you tell us a little bit about um, now that things are easing up, um, you know, there things are going to be opening up by the end of the summer and the end of the year. We're going to be, I don't know, I, I don't like to say that we're going to go back to normal. I think this has changed us forever and we're going to have to adapt to those changes, even if some things go back to the way they were. But I wonder if you all have been thinking about what your next move with this archive is going to be and, you know, what's going to happen when we're a little bit more out of the woods with the pandemic. Well, we originally, when we were collecting stories, we were in a mad rush to collect stories while the pandemic was, you know, was, was happening. But as we've talked about it more, we realized that, you know, this is an experience that's going to stick with people. Like this is, you know, a major experience, not only for us on the outside, but uh, certainly for people on the inside. And that we would love to continue collecting stories as long as people are, are still, you know, willing to keep on sending us stories that, you know, we realize for the next year or two, at least, it might make sense to still be collecting stories from people's experience. We also are expanding the people that we want to collect to. We really want to hear from people's family members that, you know, they've gone through their own battles and experiences. And, you know, I, you know, talking to different family members, I know a lot of them, like you go through, you walk kind of hand in hand through the journey of incarceration with, with their loved ones that, you know, like they know all the details about, you know, what's happening in the lockdown and, and what, you know, what activities are allowed or what, you know, when is visiting opening again. And I, I can't imagine how hard it was for those times of, of radio silence. You know, we heard from a lot of different facilities that um, access wasn't always stable or, you know, maybe it was only people who were infected who could use the phone or maybe in other facilities, people who weren't infected who could use the phone. And so people didn't know if their loved ones were infected or went, were in isolation units. And um, and we really love to hear more about how, how that's affected people and what it was like to go through that experience. We're also starting to reach out to jails and see what people who were in jails, um, what their experience have been. Um, we know that that uh, jails sometimes get overlooked in, in the whole bigger picture of, um, of incarceration. And um, so at first ourselves were a bit daunted about how to approach jails. It is, you know, it's, it is a little bit trickier because of, you know, all the different county systems. But we've, we've been starting jail outreach and um, we'd also love to hear from programming providers, from, um, from staff, if they're, if they're at all willing to. We'd love to just hear how this experience has affected everyone who's Who's connected with um, with prisons, and what what has it been like to have your world up, you know, kind of <laughs> thrown to pieces and upturned, and and all the chaos that, that that's been for the last year? Well, part of what I was going to ask you about is yes, to let people know how they can get stories to you if they want to, but even for the folks who are listening, if you can share your thoughts about why it's important to get stories out. Stories are very personal, so it's truly understandable that somebody would be hesitant about sharing their story and somebody would want to keep that private. But what would be your advice for making sure that a story gets out or making sure that somebody can have the courage to tell their story? So one thing to really reassure people about um, sending us their story is that everything that we collect that goes into the archive and that gets put on our public website will be made anonymous, that your name will not go on the site, um, really specific information. If you happen to include it in your letter or the phone call, we will redact that. So um, we will take out things like your bunk number. We'll take out certainly something like your CDCR number, if that's included. Um, we will take out anything that, that we think within reason could identify you or others. So we do also take out other um, names that you mention. 
Um, we do this just to protect everyone as much as possible, that we do not want anyone to face any consequences based on, on sharing their story. And we want you to have the freedom to know that you can share it and that you can share it anonymously and that that information will be recorded and saved, but without um, the concern for your personal information being out there. Um, and why we think people should share their stories is that one, we hope this is again, the opportunity to tell your story in your voice under your terms, that this is, you know, we're not trying to censor you. We don't edit the story. So we don't, um, you know, no, we're not picking through like the best part of the story and creating a new story. We're, we're, we are sharing um, like bits of your stories based on themes and then people have the opportunity to read the whole story. Um, but we, we're not editing and choosing and trying to shape any narratives whatsoever. So this is your story and your voice. And then we think it's important for um, not only other Californians to know, but really the wider world to know what's happening. You know, there should be kind of a wider knowledge about what's happening here in a place, California, a place that's in movies and everyone talks about and knows about. But maybe people don't know what's happening to a good chunk of their citizens here in California, and what they're experiencing in prison. And then we also want others to know about what's going on is that we hope that this archive will be used by activist organizations. We hope this archive will be used by legal organizations. That it's not just you telling this one thing, it's you and 50 other people from your facility telling a similar story about a similar thing that happened during the pandemic. And that adds up, that adds up to like saying like, hey, this thing happened. Like there is, it's very hard to deny that something happened when you have all those voices, independent voices that, you know, um, are just kind of randomly got letters or randomly heard this, uh, um, this radio podcast um, and sent their story in. And so it really, it, it hopefully lets the public know that, hey, this, this is pretty undeniable now. This is what happened inside your facility during the pandemic. And this is how it affected you. We really also love to hear how it affected you because it really, it lets people know that like why the some things aren't okay or how they could be done better um, when it really hits home that like, hey, this, this was really hard for me to not have visitation for a year. What did that mean? Or hey, this was, what does it mean to not have programming and to not be able to exercise and not be able to mm -hmm. relieve my stress? What does it mean to be afraid, you know, during this past year? Like, what is that kind of fear of having no control over how to, how to protect yourself from the virus? What does that feel like? And I think that that's missing from a lot of stories in the public um, about what's been happening to incarcerated people during this past year. Yeah, that's very powerful. And, you know, throughout this whole conversation, I've been thinking about a friend of mine who, um, had a life sentence, but was released, uh, was released uh, many years ago, which was amazing. And he always says that, um, you know, the walls of, of the facilities of the prisons are meant to keep people in, but they're also meant to keep people out. And, you know, in this way, you're kind of blurring the lines and allowing for us to get a glimpse of what's going on. But the most important thing is that it's being told in the words of the folks who are most impacted. I think that's so powerful to be able to have that link, to be able to hear those stories is really important, really important. We get to tell our stories on the outside all the time, whether it's, you know, through a podcast or through writing or um, any number of means. And I think that's so much more limited um, for folks on the inside. So it's great that they get to do that. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, we really hope you see it as an opportunity that we're, we're doing this really just because we really think these stories need to get told that we're actually not doing this as, um, as a research project per se. We don't have a research agenda to this project. We're not trying to 
answer, like, you know, putting out a hypothesis and then answering a question. We're not doing that. We really, this came out of the kind of moment of crisis of saying like, hey, let's make a vehicle that other, that people can listen to these stories. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing that um, uh, my department, the um, Criminology Law and Society and the Department of Sociology, um, where one of our professors, Kristen Turney, is from, that they really got behind it, got behind it financially, got behind it with resources, got behind it saying like, yes, let's do this thing. Like, let's Let's uh, let's use all our, our resources as as these departments, as a university, to support these voices and support these voices being heard, even if there isn't a, like a tangible end goal to this, even if there isn't you know like a like um, some sort of you know like academic prize at the end of it. Um, and I think that's really important that um, to do work like that sometimes to really do work that that you do it because it's coming from your heart and it moves you and um, and you think it's necessary. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Joanne. Do you want to give folks the information on where they should send their letters if they would like to? Yes, yes, um, I'd love to. So I'm going to say this and I'll say it a little bit slowly so hopefully everyone can get it. So you can call our hotline. So we have a line where you can call in. There'll be live students on it. So you'll be able to talk to someone. Um, there'll be different students every night. So sorry if you if you call and hope to get your favorite person and they're not there, but we have different students every night. So you can call our hotline. Monday to Friday from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Our number is 949-824-6600. And you can also write to us. We have a P.O. box. And our P.O. box is, you can write for, you can label it to the UCI Prison Pandemic. And the P.O. box is P.O. box 44 three zero sunland that's s-u-n-l-a-n-d california nine one zero four one all right well thank you so much joanne this has been wonderful thank you for all the work that you and your students and your faculty members are doing this is such an important project and I hope that people um, after listening to this will feel like they can contribute to it as well. Yes, please. We'd love to hear your voice. Um, whether No matter how small a story it is, um, I always say no, no story is too small. We're here to listen. Fabulous. Thank you as well for making a safe space for humanity to come together. Thank you guys for having me here. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here at Outside Inside Radio. We really appreciate your support. And you can find out more about us at www.prisonartscollective.com. I'm your host, Ella Turen. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Outside Inside Radio. Until the next time.